Get Lit. Hello, avid Get Lit listeners. I was sick of the other introduction because I was, well, mostly I was sick of getting made fun of for the other introduction, so we're going to scrap the good morning part and just jump right into the Get Lit part. Um, If you're new to our podcast, we are a kind of a literary analysis in a special way podcast. Uh, We take a look at famous literary works and the authors who wrote them. Um, There are two of us that do this fun passion project. Um, I'm the... uh, Host, I oh, guess. Yeah. Most definitely. <laughs> um, Steph Spars, and I'm here with John Stricker, the co host, emphasizing the co. <laughs> Assistant host. Assistant co host. I'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you a shirt that says, or a hat. A director's chair, but it'll just say assistant co-host. Yes, I need that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we are um, now in our ninth episode, which is pretty exciting. Wow. And um, we've gotten more stickers in. So if you are one of the individuals who have reached out to us for stickers, I've sent them actually across the country as far as New York. Wow. Um, and that's very exciting. So if you'd like or are interested in a sticker, please feel free to reach out to us. Um we have an email address, which is getlitpodcastmail at gmail.com. That was the only one available. It's very self-explanatory. It's fine. And uh, Twitter and Instagram as well under the handles getlit underscore podcast. Um, additionally, I would love to give a shout out. We have listeners in Canada and the UK. You guys, Get Lit is international. Whoa. Just saying. We're kind of a big deal and we're on iTunes, and we have five five reviews. Oh my! How exciting! <laughs> I know. I just I couldn't have imagined this getting this big. How many of the five did you write? They well, only one. They, can only, <laughs> <laughs> they only let me do one, so um, I wrote one of them. Very good. I didn't write it. Technically, it's just like five people gave it stars. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so feel free if you're enjoying what you're hearing um, or not enjoying what you're hearing, send it to other people so they can either celebrate or commiserate in your misery or celebrations. Um, and I think that's all the, the fun little announcements that we have. Great. Great. Um, so this week, last week, we got to hear from a real live author. Um, this week, we're going to hear about a real dead author, um, but she's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to introducing you guys um, to the very famous and very influential poet, Phyllis Wheatley. So this episode, I actually I wanted to put this out there first, um, wouldn't have been possible, or I guess is more possible, because of one of the college professors that I had. Um, when I was at University of Illinois, I took my degrees and kind of did them one at a time in my undergrad. And so I was taking a very basic level um, American literature survey with Professor Derek Spires, um, who's still there. He teaches um, amazing works and has just actually published a book as well. And it was because of his class, uh, this American Lit Survey, that I was introduced to On Being Brought from Africa to America, um, which is the Phyllis Wheatley poem that we read and analyzed. Mm. And it was something that, like, captivated me and I've really been thinking about it ever since so much so that I actually included that poem in my um, junior curriculum as an addition I thought it was really important that my students get to see early American work that was not from a white male and so I included it in our survey 
um, during my junior class. And so I just wanted to give a thank you shout out to Professor Spires um, for all the amazing work he did. I just was so inspired by him in that class. So folks, if there's a teacher who taught you something you remember, uh, make sure they know about it. Give them a shout out on your podcast. <laughs> um, I'm sure he has no idea who I am or like what this was, but it's an awesome class. Um, so UIUC students, take a class with him. Everybody else, go out, find him on Twitter, look at his book, um, or read Phyllis Wheatley if you're inspired. So um, with that being said, we'll start with a little bit about her history. So um, Phyllis Wheatley was seized, and I'm going to use the word seized because she was a slave. Um, she was not brought over um, to the United States, which I feel like has a kind of neutral connotation to it. She was seized um, from West Africa. Historians think Senegal, maybe Gambia, not exactly sure, around 1753 um, and brought over to Boston when she was about seven years old. Um, and she is in what's known as a group of refugee slaves, um, which means that she who... Because of her age, um, other slaves, because of their physical frailty, couldn't be useful in the West with rigorous work. So they were often taken over the Atlantic and sold as domestic house slaves um, or sold for lighter work. Um, so she is purchased by um, John Wheatley, who is a prominent Boston tailor, and um, he doesn't buy her for very much. The captain of the ship thought she wasn't going to make it because she was pretty sick by the end of her journey and she was quite young. So he wanted to get some money from her before she died, so he sold her to John Wheatley for not very much money. Um, but John Wheatley took her in and was originally going to have her be a domestic slave working in the household. Um, he had a wife and he had a daughter and a son, Nathaniel and Mary, um, and although she was definitely part of their household that was as a domestic servant, um, the Wheatleys gave her an amazing education. They realized kind of at her young age, she was quite precocious, um, but she learned to read. They taught her how to write. So this is kind of, I think, really complicated to talk about simply because um, Wheatley's position was much different than that of many American slaves in their narrative, but it doesn't necessarily justify the actions of the slavery purchase to begin with. So I just sort of want to put that out there is that as we're kind of talking about this um, on the podcast and learning about her history, acknowledging the fact that Wheatley was a slave who maybe had it quote unquote better off than others um, still was a slave. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. How complicated. Yeah, so um, she is exceptionally bright. She gets this amazing education. She reads the Bible. She learns astronomy. She learns geography and history. She reads British, Greek, and Latin classics and literature. Um, and this kind of for her age, she came to the United States not speaking any English, obviously. Um, but by the time she was 13, she actually writes a poem. She writes her first poem. Um, about her saga of surviving the, her journey over to the United States. And it's called um, On Mrs. Hussey and Coffin. And this gets published uh, December 21st in 1767 um, in Newport, Rhode Island. So at this point in time, 
America is obviously not established yet as the United States of America. Right. Um, so they publish everything kind of as these individual pamphlets of specific regional areas. Uh, so most of the time, people attribute her earliest poem, or maybe the most successful of her poems, that kind of launch her into the spotlight as um, an elegy. Um, elegies, for those of you studying any kind of literature, are poetic forms that commemorate dead people. Um, sometimes those poems are, um, I guess, commissioned, <laughs> and other times those poems are written by the actual person. So um, this the actual person who, like, who might have known the individual who died. So, oh, like, understood. if you had a, a family friend or something who passed away, um, you might write an elegy for them. Mm. Or if you were like, ah, Kurt Vonnegut has died, and you write an elegy in honor of Kurt Vonnegut, having never known him personally, it's just the poetic form. Very good. Um, so uh, this little ditty that she wrote is called An Eglactic Poem on the Death that Celebrated Divine and Eminent Servant of Jesus Christ, the Late Reverend and Pious George Whitfield. Oh, concision. Right. <laughs> so that's that's the title of this poem that really makes her famous. Um and this kind of brings her into the into the spotlight nationally speaking. So um it's published uh, as a pamphlet and tossed at his funeral, tossed out to the crowd. They literally caught it. No, I have no idea. Um but at at the funeral, um this is 1771 at this point and this kind of sets her up for what sparks her literary career. And so by the time she's 18, um, she collects 28 of her poems that she's written. And with the help of Mrs. Wheatley, who's technically her the, the female owner of the house, um, helped get her subscribers. And so at this point in time, again, we're kind of pre- America, as we know it, um, people would look for subscribers, kind of like podcasters a little bit. Um, and cool. basically, if you wrote something, you would look for people who would pay a subscription fee, and you would thank them at the beginning of your book or your poetry, and they would help you get your work published because it was all pretty much independent at that point. So I think that's pretty cool, um, is that that system still is in existence today. And that was how Wheatley got her start. Wow, with the help of her female owner. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's again, the fraught legacy. So, um, right. uh, unfortunately, people who lived in the area weren't really supporting African literature. They didn't think it was legitimate. And so um, the Wheatleys actually take a look at London. They're like, okay, fine, if you guys over here stateside won't help us, we'll go to London. Um, and we'll look for a publisher there. So she goes, Wheatley, Phyllis, um, who actually, I should have mentioned this earlier, Phyllis got her name from the ship she was brought over on. She was brought over on a ship called the Phyllis um, and was named after that. And then when she was baptized, um, and this was pretty common from my understanding at the time, a slave would take the last name of their family. So that's how she became Phyllis Wheatley. So both Phyllis and Wheatley are both directly stemming from the things that kept her in bondage the ship and then her owners right and she kept both names she did keep both names how interesting right um so she phyllis goes with nathaniel her um 
master's son and they go to London to try to get some publishers interested which they do and while she's over in England she meets a lot of very famous people over there Um, her family has connections over there that kind of get her in the literary circle she actually meets Benjamin Franklin over there which I thought was pretty interesting Um, he's over there serving whatever governmental thing he did there when he did it so um she gets the interest in in a publisher and unfortunately um she gets back and mrs wheatley um her female owner um becomes very ill as they're coming back and um this sparks the poems of various subjects religions and morals to be published 1773 And um, this is actually the first volume of poetry that winds up getting published by an African-American person. Um, In what would soon be the United States or just ever? Well, in the United States, which I think is pretty wild. So um, uh, Mrs. Wheatley dies in 1774 on March 3rd and things kind of go downhill from there Um, so to kind of take a look at these poems the poems on various subjects it's clear that Wheatley favors the couplet and her work is very reminiscent and kind of takes on these classical and neoclassical themes which I think are indicators of the education that she got growing up so she loves the couplet and does iambic pentameter all over the place Um, She takes these poetic and and heroic forms. About one third of her her whole literary canon is elegies. So works, again, about dead people. Wow. Um, Which I think is sort of interesting. I I have no idea why that is, but she just, like, was good at it. So she wrote about dead people. Um, She also writes about... biblical symbolism she's totally into she was obviously converted when she came over and baptized as a christian and a lot of her work um, connects christianity to other things either allusions to different roman and greek myths she writes a lot about those um, or just extended metaphors comparing things to christianity or likening the values of christianity into maybe more secular work So those are kind of indicative of her things um, that she tends to write about. And she has a a very strong love for what will become America. She's very patriotic, loves George Washington, um, gets to meet him, actually. She writes a poem in his honor, and then he invites her to come do a reading. Wow. Which, like, (laughs) obviously is very cool, but I also, like, hello, could you come read your poem about myself to me? Right. A fellow slave owner who you are also a slave, but But I value your literary contributions. To myself? To myself. Right. So, like, I feel like upon more dissecting, it's kind of weird, but it's also kind of cool. Yeah. I have, I don't know how to feel about this. They wrote letters back and forth to one another. So there was beyond, there was correspondence beyond, like, please come read the poem you wrote about me to me, (laughs) which is kind of cool. So, um, uh, kind of after this point, we're still in 1774, uh, unfortunately, like many of our authors, life starts to go downhill. So, um, her, her benefactor, right, Mrs. Wheatley has just died. Mary Wheatley and her father, who purchased her, both die in 1778. And Nathaniel, who's still over in England, he actually marries and moves back over, dies in 1783. And uh, at this point, we're hitting Revolutionary War time, which isn't a great time for anyone involved, really. 
Um, and this makes it very difficult for her to function now as a freed individual. She, um, she was freed? She was freed when her benefactors died. Oh, wow. And her, um, well, her family died. So um, in 1778, she marries um, a man named John Peters. She'd known him. He was also a freed slave. And um, he had an entrepreneurial bent and was supposed to have called himself Dr. Peters. He practiced freelance law. He kept a grocery store. He was a banker. He was a barber. He did all kinds of things. But unfortunately, none of those ever panned out to be fully successful or realized. So um, they, the Peterses, as, we, as Phyllis is now known, um, they moved to Boston, or from Boston to Wilmington, Massachusetts, to escape the Revolutionary War. They want to get away from the fighting, which obviously Boston is a hub at this point. And so um, her husband tries to make ends meet. She's trying to make ends meet, but she's getting progressively sicker. Her husband is getting progressively less successful. Um, between 1779 and 1783, the couple is said to have three children. Um, the historic records don't totally have a consensus on this. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, all three of those children do die no. in childhood. Um, at some point in time. So um, one of the things that I think is sort of interesting is that Wheatley obviously has lots of friends who take a look after her and that sort of thing. Um, but she kind of ends her life in this really rundown section of Boston in this apartment. Two of her children have died, um, or roughly that, and she is getting sick. Her husband is not there because he's trying to make all these entrepreneurial things happen. Um, so she winds up kind of dying in poverty. She does write in this kind of last 10 years of her life. Um, she writes poems and, and tries to find um, funds to do a second volume of poetry. Um, but unfortunately, this won't get published until after her death. Mm. Um, so she runs these soliciting advertisements in 1779 to try to get money for this partial volume. Um, but America, again, wouldn't support work by an African person. So um, in 1784, she actually publishes a poem under a pseudonym, Phyllis Peters, um, a masterful, very masterful, 64-line poem. This is published in a pamphlet, and it's called Liberty and Peace, which hails, like, kind of it's an american tribute mm. it's amazing um very patriotic very passionate so she dies that year later that year at age 31 december 5th um in 1784 and she dies alone her child dies a few days later they're actually buried together um unfortunately her husband was jailed um because he was in debt and uh, that's kind of the end of her legacy is really short but powerful 31 years um, that she lived. And I think her legacy is amazing. And um, it's so important to study, I think, her work and her life. Because obviously it's not, like, of all the cool authors that we've studied so far and looked at on this podcast, um, it's very easy to see why she comes um, to such literary renown now. But unfortunately, not so much during her life. I mean, she really 
it shows, I think, kind of the gravity of, of racial divide, slavery, and tension in America. And female, like, yeah. subjugation at the mm-hmm. same time. I, I mean, even uh, regardless of race, I mean, you see Abigail Adams write a letter to her husband begging them not to forget about women. And so she has so many things going against her to be taken, quote-unquote, seriously at, you know, the mm-hmm. time that she's alive. Right, but... As, you know, as a woman of color, as a woman, right. as an ex-slave, you know, like, there there are no resources, there is no help. So, although, again, her family has, um, you know, really looks out for her and they support her in her work, she still is a slave. And so I think studying kind of that strange in-between world of, of these privileges, but no privilege and bondage is, is really interesting. So it, it shows that slavery isn't as black and white as it's, it's made out to seem. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a middle ground, like, there's a, but it's a weird, like, can you say that one slave experience is worse than another's? I mean, to be in slavery period is unimaginable. Right. And I think that that, you know, it's, um, is something really interesting to study when you're reading Wheatley's work, knowing and acknowledging that she's coming um, over as a slave in captivity. Um, so I do have two interesting facts, or I guess one really interesting fact that I wanted to sort of lead out with um, as sort of an empowering message, maybe. Um, I mentioned earlier that Phyllis Wheatley was the first African-American to get published as a woman, um, but the third woman in America to publish a book. So not only was she working against all of the circumstances of her life, but she becomes the first African-American author, not just female, like first African-American author Um, and third woman total to be published in America, obviously prior to its founding. But I think that's really cool. Um, So, I mean, I think her poetry is incredible, but the legacy that it leaves in exploring the American identity is so important. Um, I think we, especially kind of approaching summer, we're about to hit 4th of July. Um, Like, I think there's a space to have a Phyllis Wheatley poem at your celebration. For sure. Yeah, I think um, it's amazing. So um, please go take a look at Phyllis Wheatley's poetry. It's really, it's astounding, it's outstanding, and it's, I think, really something worth your time. So thank you again, Derek Spires, for giving us access to her amazing work. Hopefully this did it justice, um, knowing and acknowledging that we are the introduction for you and hopefully the inspiration for your searches in the future. Um, so that's, that's Phyllis Wheatley. Pretty amazing. So we'll sign off for this week um, with a... Looking forward to the next. So thank you again, as always, for keeping it lit.